Have you heard about the new MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle? The MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle is the easiest, most advanced nozzle ever, protecting you from the dangers of diesel exhaust fumes. With its patented flex magnet technology, the Pro Nozzle easily attaches with one hand from a standing position, can snap on from any angle, and fits flush to the apparatus, saving a ton of space. A MagnaGrip is the only exhaust removal system that offers a true 100% seal. For free grant assistance and to learn more, go to magnagrip.com. Hello there and welcome to Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio in this episode of the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. This is the podcast that is dedicated to our great volunteer fire service and it's also embarking on a mission to get all of our listeners to embrace the message that we share every episode that is developing and displaying and maintaining a professional image and reputation are the duty and responsibility of all firefighters and also recognizing that true professionalism is not defined by any paycheck. Tom Merrill here, so glad to have you with me as we are deep into the winter months, the cold winter months. Uh, it is up here in where I am anyway, in the Buffalo, New York area. But I did just get back from Missouri. I was down at the Missouri Winter Fire School in Columbia, Missouri. And I want to thank Tracy Gray and all the other staff there at the University of Missouri who did such a great job organizing yet another fantastic fire service training event. Had a great weekend there a couple of weeks ago. And I'm putting finishing touches now on a presentation I'll be doing. Actually, I'm doing three presentations at the Pinsky Law Conference, which is coming up the 1st of March at the Turning Stone in New York State. And I'm going to be presenting uh, several different classes there. One with my wife. Uh, Chief Pinsky has my wife and I going on stage with him and his wife, and I think one or two other couples. And we're going to talk about the effects of volunteering on the personal life of volunteer firefighters. So that should be interesting. And I will be doing my history, heritage, and pride presentation. And I'll be doing another one talking about some new recruitment ideas and retention ideas in the volunteer fire service. So if you're in the New York area and uh, would like to join us, you can go online or go on the Pinsky website, uh, Pinsky Law, uh, and see the information there about the uh, Pinsky Law Conference and at the Turning Stone Casino in the early uh, first weekend in March. Uh, so that's just a few weeks out. I got to get working and finishing up those presentations. And then I'm going to be off the radar for a little bit. I turned 60 a couple weeks ago, and it seems like, boom, I turned 60. Got to have some surgery. Uh, I'm a runner, and all of a sudden my ankles aren't working so well. Go to the doctor. Oh, I got bone spurs, among other issues. So... I got to get laid up for a week or two weeks, or actually it's four to six weeks. I got to get cut open and have some bone spurs removed. And I'm going to rest for the month of March after the Pinsky conference because I want to get it over with so I can be at the FDIC conference at the end of April. I'm going to be in Indianapolis at FDIC, which runs from April 24th to the 29th. I hope I see you there. By then, I should be out of my cast and bouncing around and back to normal. And as a reminder, I'll be doing my classroom session, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. And I'd love the opportunity to meet any of you there at the FDIC conference where we can talk about 
all things professional fire related. And I'm still working on my book. I just did some final edits and submitted them to the publisher, uh, Fire Engineering Books and Videos. Still hoping for a release this year. Still on pins and needles as to when exactly it's coming out, but everything's been submitted. And uh, they tell me everything is still a go. It's just there's no final date or no finishing date in sight yet. So I'm working hard on that, and I'll be sure to share that information with you. Very excited to get this book out the professional volunteer fire department based on these podcasts and my presentations and based on meeting and talking to so many great professional firefighters like yourself. So um, I was hoping we'd get that out at FDIC, but we'll see. We'll see. But either way, I will be at FDIC. I will be out of the cast by then. And I really hope you have the opportunity to take in that great FDIC experience. Because again, as I always say, there is nothing like it at all. And you will come home fired up, ready to go, reinvigorated, and motivated like never before. So we're going to continue on with the discussion that we started out with on our last episode. And if you listened in, you'll remember I asked everybody listening and everybody talking, including myself, to take a step back and embrace training in 2023. No matter how long we've been in the fire service, no matter our tenure, no matter our role, no matter our title, Everything in the volunteer firehouse begins and ends with a solid training program. It is so critical. It's a critical component in any professional fire operation. I mean, even beyond for the fire department, right? Think if the military didn't train or our local police departments didn't train. Well, volunteers don't get a pass. They don't get to use the excuse, well, we're just volunteers, and use that as an excuse not to train, or they shouldn't anyway. So we have to get all of our members to understand that, just how important it is. And it's also important, not that just they understand it, but that they participate in training as well. And we got to get those responsible for the training, the chiefs, the training officers, maybe the line officers or veteran firefighters. They've got to understand the role that they play and ensuring that training drills are well put together. You know, drills that are definitely held regularly, but drills that are also organized, drills that are relevant and pertinent to what you can expect in your area. And also, it might not be fair, but on the volunteer side, it's important that the drills entice members to come to the training and continue to come back for more training. The last thing you want as a member in your volunteer fire department is to leave the firehouse after that training drill and think to yourself what a complete waste of time that was for you. A volunteer's most critical attribute is time. And if you're wasting their time, they're not going to come back. You'll find something else to do the next time the training drill is offered. And as we often say in this podcast, again, a volunteer's most precious commodity is time. So make the most of your volunteers busy time and that includes on the training ground as well so that's what we're going to continue with tonight we're going to continue down that path and we're going to talk more about training our volunteer firefighters we're also going to focus on the role of the training officer now as mentioned we already talked about how important it is for us to take a step back and recognize just how important training is how important it is for us to participate in it and we're also going to talk about how important it is to organize and put that drill on and what a critical component the training officer plays in that 
operation. So in this episode, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to take a look at what it means to be a good training officer. And then sometimes in the volunteer fire service, we elect, yes, elect, subject for another podcast, an officer, and simply assign them the task of putting the training drills together. You're elected one day, and the next day the chief knocks on your door and says, okay, lieutenant, congrats on winning that election. Have a drill put together by Wednesday on nozzles or ventilation or whatever. And if the training officer isn't well-versed in understanding their role or how to put on a drill, problems certainly can occur. And I know you can understand that. And these problems can really negatively impact the department and by extension, the membership. So I'm bringing a guest on board tonight to discuss this. And I'm very honored to have Chief Dave McGlynn on with me. He's the operations chief and the training officer for the Letterkenny Fire and Emergency Services Department in Pennsylvania. He's an FDIC instructor. He writes for Fire Engineering. And as a matter of fact, he also hosts a Fire Engineering podcast. I hope you've listened to it. It's the very popular Networking for Success. And he's also the owner and the lead instructor for a company called Passion in Leading, which I love the logo because it says, don't chase a career, chase your passion. And you're listening to this podcast, so I know you, the listener, have passion, and you're going to enjoy what the chief has to share with us tonight. And as I mentioned on my last episode, and I say all the time as I travel and meet people and write articles and get feedback on my articles and when I present in areas, the volunteer fire service training drill has definitely generated the most feedback from people that I talk to. And unfortunately, it's often in a very negative way. It either has to talk about little to no training requirements or poorly organized drills, nobody's showing up for the training, or so many other issues and challenges that are associated with that volunteer drill. And a big problem I like to focus on and discuss in our volunteer fire service is this common practice. This to me, I talked about it this weekend at the conference I was at. This to me is a big dysfunctional area in the volunteer fire service. The longer I've been in, the less I have to train. I've been in for 40 years now. I never, ever have subscribed to that process that, oh, I've been in for 40 years. I don't have to train anymore. So that's another thing I want to talk about tonight. It's a challenge for sure, but I think we can overcome that. But anyway, I just want to bring our guest on and we're going to continue down this training path road and delve into it with Chief McGlynn. So Chief, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's such an honor to have you. I've known you for several years now. I've listened to your podcast. I know you're a very passionate presenter. That's probably uh, where that title comes from for your passion and uh, training. But uh, why don't you tell everyone before we get into the training uh, aspect of things, where you come from? What got you into the fire service? What's your fire service journey been? Uh, Thank you. Um, I'm not often ask that question i'm the one usually asking everybody else that question so it it's it's interesting to be on that side of uh of, of i guess the the you know the interview there um <clears throat> so one you know thanks for having me uh i'm honored to to be on it um you know i i love you and follow your stuff and i i think it's a it's it's very humbling for me to have this opportunity for to be a guest on your show but um I started out, I, uh, I grew up in New Jersey, I uh, grew up in this, uh, this town called Island, which is a section of Woodbridge Township, and uh, I always, since I moved out of there, nobody knows where Woodbridge is, so the best way to describe it is it's literally uh, west of Staten Island. If you uh, look at a map and you saw Staten Island, you looked over the Arthur Kill, there's Woodbridge, that's where I grew up. Um, so uh, 
my grandfather was a uh, fire chief. He was actually, a, you know, in a paid position uh, as a fire chief at this chemical plant in Jersey City called Mellencrot Chemical. And uh, the plant closed in like August of 83. And uh, my grandfather, he had, I guess, retired from there. But then to make ends meet, he took a job as a janitor for like 10 years. So I had no idea that he was a firefighter. Uh, when I was a kid, because he had retired literally when I was a baby and and then uh, started being a janitor. So I always thought my grandfather was just a janitor, you know, mm-hmm. um, and um, and then years later, uh, I had become a firefighter. And then he was telling me like, oh, yeah, you know, I was on I was on on the job and he was talking to me about hazmat and about safety stuff. And it was nice that I had this kind of legacy thing that I didn't even know about. But how I got into it was when I was a kid. The fire truck used to drive by with Santa Claus on top of the uh, the engine, and um, they used to drive past my house. I, I didn't grow up too far from the firehouse, and uh, and I thought, man, they are friends with Santa Claus. How cool is that? Like, I need to be a fireman so I can be friends with Santa Claus. <laughs> and you know, and and then the guy lived up the street. He was a firefighter. He was a volunteer firefighter in that department. And I remember uh, he used to let us try on his three quarter lengths and and try on his uh you know his 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 leather helmet. And I just remember falling in love with it. You know, I would dress up uh, in my father's uh, yellow fishing jacket and his uh, and his and his three quarter length uh, uh, fishing boots. And I would stand on the on the, the bumper of his pickup and I would yell out the Fed cue and I'd be Woo! like, I, you know, like I was on the job. I'd ride in the back step on the back of my father's pickup. It's parked in front of our house. And so I just I loved it since I was a little kid. And I think that that's probably why I'm so passionate about it when I when I go and 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 talk to people about it or or present about it because it's a cliche thing to some, uh, and, you know, but to others like that, you know, that get it. A lot of us did want to do this since we were little kids, and and the fact that we get that opportunity, it's like you know, when you ask somebody like, oh, you know, like what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to play in the NFL, and and they get to you know, and that the it's like they're they're like i'm living my dream well i i actually can feel the same way as that person i truly feel like i'm living my dream i love what i do i love being able to to go all over and talk to other people about you know this thing of ours so yeah that's my story that's how i got into it (laughs) i don't think i've ever met a firefighter who's a volunteer firefighter who joined to meet santa claus i think that's (laughs) i've ever heard that i know fire i know volunteers in it I know volunteers that join to play softball or do something, get on the tournament team, but not to meet Santa Claus. Right, so you're right a first, buddy. <laughs> right. Did yeah. you join a, a volley company first? Yeah. That, okay. So, so uh, I joined uh, the Island uh, Island Volunteer Fire Company, number one, District Nine. You know how the volley houses yeah. are. So we always have like seventy five different names. You know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's where I that's where I made my bones. That's where I joined, and uh, you know, and that's what that really got me jacked up to to do what I do. And how did you end up from letter? How did you end up from New Jersey into Letter Kenny? You're so you you um, bounced around a little bit, right? Right, right. yeah. So, um, so I had uh, grown up there. I was taking a few tests. I'd taken a couple of municipal tests uh, in in the local area in Jersey. I took the test for FDNY because I grew up right by the city, Um, and I just couldn't get on the job. You you know, uh, between whatever level of uh, politics, but also just I wasn't in shape and. And I wasn't taking it serious enough. I kind of felt like like I, it was owed to me, right? And uh, and I and I I didn't really like um, dedicate myself to getting on it. 
And um, I saw my friends that, that came into volleys with me and they were getting on a job and I grew envious and jealous of them. And I focused more on how they got on a job and not how, how I can better myself. Um, so a buddy of mine gave me a reality check. He worked down in Fort Monmouth, which was an army base in, in Jersey and in, in central Jersey and said, you know, I'm going to help you out, take these classes. I'm going to help you write your resume. And I want you to start applying for jobs, uh, for the federal government. And, uh, Applied for a few jobs, uh, had some offers in different places that I just didn't want to move, like Kansas and stuff like that. And, uh, got an opportunity, got an offer for a job at Naval Air Station, Brunswick, Maine, and Crane uh, Naval Weapons Station in Indiana. Crane was 14 hours from where I grew up, and Brunswick was seven hours from where I grew up. So I took the job in Brunswick, Maine, and um, the base closed. I ended up going down to Pennsylvania. I worked in Pennsylvania for uh, a little over six years. Uh, and then um, I had uh, gotten an opportunity to compete for the training chief job at, at West Point. And uh, I didn't think they'd ever hire me. I was like, oh, you know, I'm 33 years old. And, you know, just uh, I'm going to interview for this job because it's a it's a big deal. It's West Point. And I went in very transparent in the interview and they offered me the job. And, uh, and then they, they made accommodations to my schedule that my family was still living in Pennsylvania while I was up there. Um, but it was nice cause you know, we only grew up, my wife and I only grew up an hour South of West Point. So we were able to visit family, um, that, that we weren't able to frequently visit while we were living in PA the, all mm -hmm. that time. And I was working in PA. Uh, and then I'll tell you, man, just, it gave me a lot of different opportunities. It opened my eyes to a lot of different things. It, it, it allowed me at a young age to manage and direct and facilitate a program for a large scale fire department. That wasn't just for the fire department, but it means it's West point. It's, it's in the public eye, you know, it's a big deal. So if you screw up there, it's going to be evident, you know? So, um, it, uh, it gave me the opportunities to get where I'm at promotion opened up at letter Kenny army depot, uh, which is in chambersburg, Pennsylvania. So there's a township, in, in, a, in a section of Chambersburg called Letterkenny Township. And in the 40s, they made the base and they, 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 made, the, they made it right there in Letterkenny Township. So they just called it Letterkenny, not to be confused with the Hulu show. And that's where <laughs> I'm at now. That's how I got down there and got to not have to sell my house, be with my family. And, and I got a promotion out of it. So life has been amazing, even though it's been like all over the place as far as how my resume went. I think it was when you were at West Point when I met you. I think mm -hmm. I came in and did a presentation. Where was it? The Mohonk? Where was I when I met you? Um, uh, I think so. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, probably. Yeah. And I, I, I think I, I, we saw each other also at um, uh, uh, Montour Falls uh, at okay. one point, or what, what? Yeah, over at the the academy. Yeah. I think we saw each other during um, during one of the uh, you know, the instructor uh weekends or weeks right. or whatever up there I, I i'd seen you up there too okay okay but a lot of people don't know west point has its own big fire department oh uh, yeah that's a big operation huh right yeah it was it's it they 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 do it all between river rescue and you know tech rescue high high angle mountain rescue and and structural firefighting i mean they do it all and letter kenny is associated with the military it's army oh yeah it's an army base also okay okay so are you uh a U.S. government employee, then correct? Yeah, so I'm a civilian, uh, federal employee, but uh, you know, I'm a, just a regular firefighter. That the the interesting thing that people don't understand, uh, which is fine, I I like explaining to people is, uh, 
your your military base is basically like it's 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 like its own town or city. You know, it ha- has its own government. It has it's self sustainable. It has everything that that a regular t- town has. You know, a DPW and and everything else like that, and police department and a fire department. So mm-hmm. essentially, you're exactly the same as a as a town fireman or a city fireman or whatever. You just you 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 answer to a higher power because you work for the federal government. Oh, that's awesome. Quite a journey you've taken and still going strong and doing great things. So that's just awesome for you. And um, I love the title, by the way. I mean, you got your hands involved in a lot of different things. You write. I know you're in the middle of doing a book as I am. Um, But I love the title of your training company, Passion in Leading, because it it just just speaks to how important training is and for the instructor to be passionate about it. You know, I always say one thing that I used to say is even if you're teaching the yearly refresher training or something you've done 20 times. I hate when an instructor starts off by saying, I know you all know this, or I know you don't really want to be here. I don't want to be here either, right. but we've got to cover this. I mean, talk about setting the tone, right? Right. So, right. Tell turn me everybody about, off right from the beginning. Exactly. But <clears throat> tell me a little bit about how you picked that title and how you feel passion should be part of the training program. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, uh, so one passion is our fuel, right? Uh, it, it's, uh, it's the thing. If, if we're not passionate about something, we don't really love it. Uh, we, we tend to in life and anything, we tend to put the most effort into something that we care about. Um, so even in the fire service, when we elect a new chief in the volley house or things go wrong or there's new bylaws or, you know, whatever, we don't have the funding or this and that, uh, when we respond to it, we respond because we care. Now, granted, there's there's some people that are negative, but we respond because we care. So passion is everything, especially in the fire service, because those that get it and love it are very passionate about it. And uh, I was accused one time <clears throat> when I had just become a captain. I had promoted to being a captain, and uh, a superior said to me, you know what your problem is? He says, you're too passionate. And I thought, that's a problem? That's never a problem. Yes. Okay. You know, so I said, well, let me try to, let me try to assess, you know, uh, passion is a double-edged sword. You know, you can be overzealous and and then therefore wear blinders and not be open to suggestions. I thought, well, is that something I'm doing? And I thought, well, no, you know, like, I think it was off-putting for some because some people promote into a leadership position or they train, like, you know, people take on training, training officer positions or an instructor position. Just for that, you know, just for either to to for the notoriety of it, for the promotion of it, for the rank of it, the title, or if they're, you know, a, a, a part time instructor on the side for extra money and they're never passionate about it. Like you said, you know, they'll start the class like, you know, the whole check in the box mentality. Right. These chief officers, you know, they just wanted to be in charge of people. It wasn't because they actually wanted to lead people. They weren't passionate about leading people. Um and uh, I thought, well, of course he thought I was too passionate because he's not. And uh, when I started uh, to to write and started to teach and, and I had to create my company, you know, I, I talked to Bobby in 2015 and I said, I want to do this. I want to teach for you. I want to write for you one day. <clears throat> and Bobby said, well, you got to come up with a name or something, you know. And and uh, the first thing I wrote for him was uh, uh, it was called Passion the six stages of the double-edged sword. That's, that's, that's the thing I wrote for him. And it's not the best thing I ever wrote. You know, I wrote this thing, you know, in 2015. So I don't know if it's worth looking up, but it was, it was, it was early on in my, (laughs) early on. And when I was writing stuff, but, um, 
but you know, from there, uh, I just decided I'm going to, I'm going to name my company passion in leading. And at first I was going to say passion and leading. And I thought, nah, passion in leading, because you have to be passionate in order to be a good leader. And then it's just everything I do, you know, it's passion in training, passion in, in anything, you know, it's not passion right. and it's in, and, uh, that's how I came up with the name. And, and I appreciate that you like the name because, uh, it's, um, Frank Viscuso told me years ago, he said, pal, you got a really good name. He said, you better LLC that because somebody's going to steal it one day. So <laughs> I did, you know, I said, <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah, that is. Yeah, a, thank the, you. Um, matter of fact, I do a presentation. Uh, one of the ones I offer is called professionalism, passion and pride and passion. I talk about is what can sustain you through the dark times, the troubling times, the hard times, also the good times. A passion is so important in everything that we do. You got to have passion for it. If you have passion for it, you're not even working, right? It's just something right. you love, something you love. You also have a tagline that goes along with that, that I love. I mean, you're, you're very creative and I, I like how it says bringing old school traditions with new ideas. Tell me about that. What does that mean? <laughs> so um, I'm the young kid on the block, you know, uh, I mean, I'm starting to get older now as you know, I'm losing my hair and everything, but but when I started out, I was the I was the young kid on the block, you know. So a lot of a lot of you guys uh, were were already you already sealed your deal and 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 you and you paid you paid your way and everybody knew who you were. And the thing that I'm most passionate about in the fire service is that uh, we have traditions, and our traditions are our foundation. And as I say, you know, um, we. What separates us from the rest of society as, you know, the fire service is that we respect our traditions. Our traditions are something that's so important to us that even though we improve and we grow and we developed and we and, and we progress as uh, as we have to to adapt to society and the ever evolving world around us, that we have to respond to these types of emergencies. We never go away from our tradition. And the fire service, quite literally is tradition with new ideas every day we come up with a new idea on how we can do something better or uh, mitigate a new emergency uh, or find a more efficient way to do stuff and i thought you know well that's kind of what i want to do that's the type of program that i want to teach is i want to bring old school traditions but with new ideas you know i want to pay the respect to the foundation and and talk about ways that we can continue to grow so important to honor the past and doing that the way you just mentioned is important because that'll also get buy-in from those senior members that really, those traditions, those customs, I call them those proud traditions and proud customs. They mean so much to them. And if you show that you respect them and you understand them, they'll be much more receptive to move up to new ideas. Absolutely. But I, I got to say one thing, uh, to for your listeners to truly respect them and honor them uh there are con artists out there and there's manipulators out there and as i say uh oftentimes when i teach you know being from jersey fugazis uh you know fakes <laughs> right <laughs> there are you know um that uh they'll say sexy things so that it appeals to to the the boomers and the Gen Xers uh, that have been doing this 20, 30, 40 years uh, to appear as if they respect tradition. Well, really, they're trying to erase us and you. And 
that's the thing is if so it, uh, to your audience, if you if you're a person that's interested in, in leading and interested in, in 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 developing others, becoming an instructor, right? Uh, my challenge to you, uh, or not even my challenge, but my prereq to you in this fire service uh, thing of ours is simply you need to believe and truly love the tradition and value the culture, respect what others did before you, truly, before you can improve on it. Uh, because eventually we will sniff out if you're a fake and you will be exposed as such. And, and if you try to get on the, on the public circuit, like, like you and you and I are, are fortunate to do Tom, you know, it's even more embarrassing when you're on the public circuit and somebody exposes that you're a fake. So I will say that it is a prereq to understand tradition, but truly respect it. Don't just say sexy buzzwords to people because you think that's, what's going to get you to, to land a class. Cause yeah. eventually we're going to sniff through that. Yes. Yes. And you know, while you're on that subject, um, I would say to anybody that's interested and there's room for all people that want to do this, we encourage it. We need it. It's the one thing that impressed me with those that were on the circuit before me is how open and receptive they were to helping me along. And what I'll say to anybody that's interested in do it, do it, come up with your angle. Um, there are some fakes out there. I just heard this weekend from one of the instructors, um, the chief and I were at a conference in Missouri Winter Fire School, and I heard from one of the instructors, there was somebody out there that took his title and is out there presenting. And that's happened to me. I got a phone call one day that, hey, you're going to be in South Dakota. I'm going to be in South Dakota. I think it was South Dakota. And I'm like, no, I'm not <laughs> going to South Dakota. I'd love to. Oh, they got a class here, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. What? So it happens. Now, there's nothing I can do about that. And um, I encourage that instructor to teach and present, but come up with your own angle, right, Chief? You right. got to come up with your take on things. Be yourself. Be unique. Don't start stealing from other people. Even Frank Fiscuso <laughs> has said that. I think he's been ripped off a few times, you know? Uh -huh. And if you if borrow, there's nothing wrong with borrowing ideas. I've done it, but give credit to where credit is due as well. Exactly. So inspiration is everywhere. And there are people who have put some content out that has like, uh, you know, you just named them, you know, Frank Viscuso is a person who has inspired me uh, to do a lot of great things uh, that I've been fortunate to do. And, and, and Lasky, you know, with, with pride mm -hmm. and ownership and, and the list goes on. Um, you find how it inspired you. And then you turn that into your experience. You know, when you're going to deliver that, don't regurgitate what Frank said, you regurgitate, your experience and how that applied to you. And then you give that person credit mm -hmm. and you say, as Frank Viscuso said, you know, and, and then you deliver that. This is something that I was having a hard time in my career and I read step up and lead and this inspired me. And then you're giving that person the credit, but you're also, you know, uh, being a conduit of the information of like, Hey, I am a physical representation that you can listen to someone else's information. It can inspire you. That's kind of the point in what we do. But like you said, though, the other side of that is be your own person. You know, I, me I remember one guy I uh, was teaching at FDIC a few years ago and, and the whole, the whole class was just a bunch of Bruno slides and God bless Bruno. But I mean, this guy didn't even know who Bruno was. And also like, if I wanted to take a Bruno class, I'd just sign up for a Bruno class. I don't need you to put up 75 Bruno slides and tell me your interpretation of it. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's not a good class. So uh, be yourself, you know, give, give a good version of, of you and, and your experience to the people. Absolutely. Chief, you just reminded me of something that I, I don't even, ah, this is so hard to say for the first time 
well, let me just say that part of my class is when I teach uh, different classes, I talk about the legends, current as well as some that are no longer with us. And I say to the, the, the people I have in my class that if you don't know the names as I throw them out, usually it's when I do give them credit for something they passed on to me or a quote or whatever it is, I'll say, please, I assign them homework. Here's your homework assignment. You need to read about this firefighter, Rick mm-hmm. Lasky, John Salka, Bruno, whoever. So I'm, I always ask, though, does anyone not know who this person is? And there's always a few, right? For the first time in my presentation career, presenting career, the name in one of my classes this weekend at the Missouri Fire School, the name Alan Brunacini was met with a classroom of people who never heard wow. of him. And I don't think they were afraid to raise their hand to yeah, say, oh, I've know, heard of him. They yeah. just didn't know. And that tells me that We've got work to do to make sure these names live on. Amen. And I think that's one thing we can do is continue to honor them by passing on their teachings, giving them credit for it, but passing on these teachings and encouraging the new generation to, yes, find your heroes of today, but remember those who came before. Right. Oh, that was the first time that's ever happened, but uh, it was eye-opening. So, that had to be pretty interesting. I would be, I would be taken yeah, back. I would, yeah. would, but I saw people <clears throat> writing names down. So I do think not everyone, but I do believe that many of the people in my class are going to be looking up the names that I throw out there during class. So nice. that encourages me. So I want to get into your one class that you teach all the time. Do you what? Do you have what it takes to be a training officer? I know you present that at FDIC as well as elsewhere. But before we get into that, give me your chief mcglynn's take on training right and and, and the volunteers get a pass or how about what i said earlier in your in the intro that well i've been in 10 years now so we're going to cut your training requirements in half which Mm -hmm. that happens i'm not going to say that it doesn't happen close to home with me it happens everywhere Mm -hmm. and i understand part of it is a retention issue because the volunteer fire service that's a very big word retention we can take it easier on members if they have 10 years in and because we need to keep them because they've got 10 years they've got knowledge they're drivers they've got experience but is that the right answer so give right. me your take on training well <clears throat> so i'll start with uh i'm i'm, I'm not going to be all over the place to confuse but there's there's a couple different points here uh so i'll start with this so i believe it was it was tommy brennan so if you go to the rock uh tommy you know, brennan it, let me stop you right there if you don't know who tommy brennan is listeners google his name right? google his name right exactly <laughs> right all right chief go ahead so, so i think i think it was tommy that that uh because I'm, I'm, I'm and if i'm wrong I, I i'm embarrassed but i'm positive that it's tommy that he was the one that said let no man's ghost return to say his training let him down and that's etched it at the rock, at the it, rock you know, for the yes. fdny fire academy that tommy put a lot of himself in to building what it became. And then obviously our thing, you know, before Bobby took it over, you know, building FDIC to what it became. And, and, um, and, 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 and that, that quote, I don't think, you know, those that got to know uh, Tommy, you know, I don't think that he meant it for it to be like a sexy quote. He just said it. And it was a fact. It was let no man's ghost return to say his training, let him down. Uh, and then I think it was followed with the, you know, you can never train enough for a job that could kill you. Um, so I say job, I don't mean, you know, cause I, listen, I volunteered for a number of years before I got uh, on, you know, quote unquote on the job, but there's guys that volunteer for 30, 40, 50 years. And they consider, you know, the, the firehouse, the job, you know, I'm on the job. Uh, 
just because whether you, whether you're volunteer or not has nothing to do with it. We we're we're on the job. We have a job to do. The, the tones go off. Somebody has a problem. We respond. It's a job. Um, so, and then we call fires jobs, you know, especially like you, at least you and I, you know, did you New Jersey, New York? I know we call fires jobs, you know? Um, <clears throat> but, um, I'll say that you can never train enough for a job that can kill you. Right. So, uh, if you're still going to do it, whether you're in the career field or in the volunteer side, especially in the volunteer side, uh, as you said, and that's a hundred percent accurate is time is everything, right? Uh, our time is valuable, um, and those that are going to be willing to put in the time, there's merit to that, and there's an appreciation to that. However, um, we still respond to things, and um, yeah, sometimes we're fortunate that nine out of ten times it's going to be the same old mom and pop, mundane, room and contents fire that we can put out the way we've always done, right? But then there's the added bonus of these new type of things, you know, between the solar panels and the electric vehicles and and the hazardous materials that are coming out and, and responding to, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know, and responding to fentanyl and stuff like that. You know, um, all these different types of crazy things get thrown at us. And you know, as I always tell everybody, you know, the fire service, John Q. Public doesn't care what your what your skill set is their expectation their assumption is that you already did go to all this training because they mm -hmm. had a problem they called 911 and you're supposed to go there and, and fix the problem where the problem solver right so i'll say that uh, you know heavy weighs the crown there's a lot of uh expectation from the people that uh that justify our existence so you want to meet that expectation to an extent now on the flip side of that there is merit to those that truly invested their time. Now, you know, uh, you know, Tommy, you know, and I'm not going to uh, pick on anybody, but it's a fact that I, I volunteered even while I was, uh, you know, uh, on the job, uh, I was still volunteering on the side just the past few years. I haven't had the time to be able to do it. You get guys that can join a volunteer department and put 30 years technically on the fire department. And, you know, they didn't really make that much of an investment. But, you know, they did their bingos or their or or or, their, you know, their their uh, their fundraising. And 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 if you're a low sap department, you know, they, they showed up just enough so that they kept their low sap points right. and they made their 30 year mark. You know, so I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about people that truly put in the time, put in the effort, uh, made a contribution, believed in the tradition and believed in trying to bring the place forward to make it a better place. Sometimes there's an incentive merit to, hey, man, like. This guy, he's been doing his 30 years and we're doing a live fire and I don't need to know if he can do it. If he wants to do it, that's great, but I'm going to give him a pass. I'm more interested in the fact that you didn't show up and I got this guy doing his 30 years and he's mm -hmm. still showing up. I'm going to give him a pass. So as an incentive, sometimes you can decrease a level of requirements to an extent for those that earned it in the volunteer side. I will say that. And I'm going to get yeah. people that are going to disagree with me that are listening to this, but I don't care because it's just how I feel. Right. Um, but There's I academy there for sure. Yeah. But I will, I, I'll, I'll end it with how I started. It is at the end of the day, I know it's easier said than done, especially today in the economy and how much it costs to live and, and time, like you said, you know, time is important, but you can never train enough for a job that can kill you. Let no man's ghost return to say his, his training, let him down. You know, uh, training is very important because it it gives us the skills to be proficient, teaches us new stuff, and it refreshes stuff that we could forget. 
the fire service is an ever evolving service and the society is ever growing. Um, so whether you're volunteer or career, if you've been doing this 15 years, five years or 50 years, you should probably have some kind of refresher idea of what it is that you're doing or eventually as hard as this is to accept. Cause one day I'm going to be in that same position. You might have to hang up your jacket. Right. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a great line too, that I like to use time in does not equal experience. It's what you've done with that time. And if you are proficient and well-trained um, there's that dichotomy again, but yes, you can maybe have some relaxed standards, but remember at all times, you're not, I said this on the last podcast, you're not wearing costumes. You're not in the land of make-believe. This is the real deal. So you got to be prepared at all times, because again, Mr. And Mrs. Public, when they call 911, they're expecting well-trained, competent firefighters to show up and help right. them out in their time of need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into the training officer in your class uh, that I know you're offering again this year. As I said, uh, do you have what it takes to be a training officer? Um, what are some of the challenges that are faced with the training officer? There's probably a lot. I mean, right. You elect one. And uh, like I said at the beginning, you could become the departments do it different ways. But I know a lot of departments, it's any officer can be the training officer that day. Right. What prepares so, somebody for that? Right, right, right. So uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting. So, uh, you know, it's uh, just for your listener. Uh, and now I'm really putting you on the spot. So you're going to have to write the contribution. So uh, <laughs> the chapter that I want you to contribute to is exactly this this topic, right, is, is, is the challenges that face the training officer. Um, and I dive into a lot of my different experiences because I had the opportunity to, to do both the paid and the, and the volunteer side of things. And that's what I wanted you to, to, to write with your experiences on it. Um, so those of you that are listening, hold him accountable. He's going to put a con contribution toward my book. You've got but it. <laughs> thanks. No, but it, it is, it's, um, I made a whole chapter on that because I felt there was a lot of relevance and merit to that. It's, it's, uh, this is this i'm not downplaying uh curriculum right but when we prepare training officers we just have them read the 1400 series in the nfpa and and we have them we throw an ifsta or a jones of bartlett book at them and and then we're like okay you know uh you learn methodology you took an eight-hour uh, class on, on on methodology and and you know you you put a powerpoint together on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich now you can go and train the fire service and 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 that's why we're failing people is because there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, you know, the expression people use in, in leadership, you know, herding cats, it's it's the same, if not worse, for the training officer. And here's the other thing is the person responsible for training, they're responsible for everybody. So from the probie on up to the chief officer, the chief of the department, the guy that's got 40 years in. That person, the training officer, they're responsible for the entire organization. They literally touch everyone. Uh, so there is a lot of responsibility that comes with ensuring that your program is is right and tight and that you're giving the right in information. And a lot of the challenges that we face, you know, the obvious ones are you got budget, right? And then buy-in, you know, buy-in is an obvious one, but it's the biggest challenge. I Budgets ebb and flow. This is this is a part of the American society. It's a part of the fire service. Whether you're volunteer or career, 
you're going to get a, a fat budget and you're going to buy everything you can for your people. And then you're going to go through a few painful years where you don't have any money, you know, um, buying something that you could have the biggest budget in the world and, you know, people still aren't bought in. And if they're not bought in because some people are just content and being a jerk, that's a different story. But if they're not bought in because, you know, they're just they don't believe in you and your program, that's on you. You know, you have to understand that <clears throat> one, as a training officer, you're not the subject matter expert. OK, so having that ability to recruit subject matter experts to give out the right relevant content is important. As a training officer, understanding how to assess your mission needs. And what I mean by that is, what is your community risk? What is your firefighter risk? What kind of equipment do you have? What kind of calls do you go on? What's the proficiency level? As the training officer, just because you watched a YouTube video doesn't mean that that applies to your fire department. If you're in Podunk, you know, Wisconsin, but you watched a Vinnie Dunn video on building construction, yeah, it's an awesome video and Vinny's awesome, but it doesn't apply to your organization. So you need to do better. And, um, I, you know, the credibility piece is the other end of it is just there's too many fakes. There's too many people that they promote into a training officer position because they want uh, the notoriety. They want the rank. They want the title. Um, and they aren't somebody who should be teaching somebody how to get themselves out of a paper bag. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think uh, you have. I think you're quoted. I've seen a quote from you, right? The fire service has produced way too many fake training officers. And, you know, we don't be one of those. Right. Uh, that, I mean, that's exactly it. It's just I, I'm not knocking anybody that came before us. It's just it's a it's a fact. We all know them. OK, you know them. You've been doing this longer than me. Your listener knows them. You know, people come to FDIC. They read the books, they read the articles, they listen to these shows, not just because there's a failure in leadership, but because there's a failure in training. And, and that's kind of what my, I guess, my true goal, my objective in my uh, experience in, in, in having this opportunity to be on, on, on this stage, right, is not discrediting leadership, but all we talk about is problems in leadership and how we should fix leadership. And we just, and we throw a bunch of sexy quotes at them and we hope they stick, right? The problem is also a failure in training and, 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 and the preparation of our training officers. You could have the best chief in the world, but if your training officer sucks, your firefighters are going to suck. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's inevitable. Right. They don't know right. what they're supposed to be doing. Right. So, um, you know, it is very important to, to have a training officer who's passionate about developing others and that's willing to network with other people. And that's humble enough to realize they don't have all the answers, but they're willing to ask others to help them design a program. Uh, that's going to be proficient and efficient uh, for their organization. You know, you mentioned one of the challenges to buy in, getting members to buy into the training philosophy and participate. I guess I talked big time earlier about participating. And one thing I've noticed, because and I've talked to a lot of departments and maybe even witnesses personally, you know, I've been in my department 40 years. We've been up and down. We've had great years and some lean years. And But one thing I can say, and Chief, I'd like to see if you agree with this or have a different take on it. But what I've noticed is if you're struggling to get members attending drill, um, and it happens, if you start putting together well-organized, even fun drills, 
that are beneficial when people go home at night or in the day, if it's a day drill, they're looking back on it like that was a productive drill. I learned a lot of things this evening or um, I had a good time and this was really pertinent. This really helped me. Eventually, that word spreads, especially in the volunteer firehouse. The word is going to spread. It's not going to happen overnight. And you still may have some lean attendance in the weeks and months ahead. But if it continues to operate organized and pertinent and people feel that it was not a waste of time, eventually the word trickles through the organization and you do get more people showing up. And then if you get some of the people who are maybe senior members that weren't coming because, again, they've been in, they'll show up just out of curiosity and interest and and they will go home and realize their time wasn't wasted. And it takes time. But I firmly believe if there's some continuity there, it's not a one week really good put together drill. It's over a time period. The word will spread and you will get better attendance. I agree with that. You got to maintain the momentum. Uh it, 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 when you're trying, especially in training, because that's what the topic is. So when you're trying to build a, a good training program and, and develop others, right? One, uh, this is an ever, uh, an ever going thing, right? So it's a reciprocated process, but it's also uh, a continuous evolving process. Uh, but it's methodical. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. So if you capture lightning, uh, you know, don't just let it out and be like, hey, I captured lightning this one time. Hold on to that lightning in that jar and see how long you can make it last. You know, uh, maintain that momentum and grow on that momentum, like you said, because word will spread. And uh, people will say like, you know, hey, man, like I can't wait until to see what we're doing next. Uh, right. You right. know, and then that's where it's up to the train. That's the importance of the training officer. It's, that's where it's up to the training officer to meet the expectation. Uh, and I don't mean to scare people when I say that. I, I actually no, I take that back. I do mean to scare people when I say that because you can't just go there and be like, ah, you know, like, uh, hey, listen, guys, we'll, we'll watch a YouTube video. Sometimes that's good. I'm not denying that. Like, I'll throw a YouTube video on in front of the guys, whatever. We'll we'll have a, a tabletop discussion, whatever. We'll just talk shop because that's good developmental training, right? Um, but if you have momentum going. They're coming in with an expectation of last month was awesome. This month's going to be even better, right? And you're like, yeah, so like, uh, hey, let's talk about, uh, you know, shoelaces. <laughs> and guys are like, wait, what? So that's where, you know, you have to realize that once you gain that momentum, there's now an expectation that you're supposed to exceed the following month and the mm-hmm. month after that. Like I said before, this is a marathon. So go through it methodically uh, with the intent of it growing but don't just like i i captured lightning in a, in a bottle so i'm good now right like nah that's not how this works like you could command a, a really good job at a fire and then you know the, the the next day you're at a regular routine mva and you're you you, you park the engine in fuel and you know it ended up catching on fire and now you look like a complete ass <laughs> nobody cares about how good you did at the structure fire the week before you know, you got to keep the momentum going. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, it does take work, folks. It does take work and uh, nothing more demotivating. I've said it several times on this podcast that 
members show up to the firehouse and no one knows what they're training on yet. And the officers are training people and whoever's doing your training are standing to the side, trying to figure out what they're going to do, or they know what they're going to do, but they're still pulling out the props and getting things set up and people are standing around. So it takes work to be the training officer. And um, it's, you know, not for everybody, but if it's assigned to you or you've taken that responsibility, take it seriously and put the time and effort in. And there's nothing wrong. And I've said this before, nothing wrong with working today to plan a drill six for six months from now. You're going to have it ready to go. Oh, yeah. um, and you also talk about developing others. And I think we would say training is meant for the development of others. Instructors are in the business of developing people. I believe that's a Chief McGlynn quote. <laughs> so training is meant for development, is it not? Yes. And yes. And, and you you're big on not picking and ridiculing picking on and ridiculing people either, um, which I know sometimes too. Um, this I had a, I had a senior firefighter come up to me at a presentation a year or two ago, and talk about this was a firefighter he'd been in thirty years. He served as the chief for a few years. He went through the line. He had 15 years or 16 years in as an officer, but now he was a, a line firefighter in his 50s. And he told me, he goes, you know, I get really nervous coming to drill now. You know, back in the day, I was into it. I was really skilled and competent. And, and people look at me that I'm still skilled and competent because I used to be a chief that was into it. But I got to be honest, my skills have slipped a little bit. And the last time I went to a drill, they were like, oh, chief so-and-so is here. He remembers how to do this. And they threw me in and wanted me to be proficient and teach, which is not bad, but, but he was caught off guard and it made him scared. And he was embarrassed. So what would you say to that? How do we do, how do we overcome that challenge? Well, <clears throat> so to answer that, that, that part of the question, uh, that's okay. Uh, because like I said before, you know, um, I, there's a, there's another thing, uh, I'm quoting myself here. So I, I say this, uh, <laughs> one of the things I say is I say, well, I appreciate it, man. You're saying stuff that I'm like, wow, I, I said that that does sound good. No, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm changing but, um, Wait, that's my quote now. <laughs> right? Yeah, go ahead. Have it. <laughs> I'm a fake. I'm stealing it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no, but, um, one of the things I say is, uh, I, I say what we go through, we grow through. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and what I mean by that is, is uh, when you have this feeling of in this in this case with this 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 particular gentleman, you know, of embarrassment. Right. It's not just that you're embarrassed uh, in front of your peers. There's a self embarrassment because you hold yourself to an expectation and because you care about how you perform and your contribution to the fire service. uh there's this level of vulnerability and this embarrassment, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I will say uh, that that's good. That happens to me all the time. Like I was telling you, you know, we were at the conference this weekend, you know, uh, uh, Saturday morning, I felt really good. And then Saturday afternoon, I started out and I wasn't hitting my stride and, and it wasn't my best work. And, and then my wife was there and she called me right out on it. You know, when the kids, <laughs> when everybody went on break, you know, and she said, uh, what you did this morning, do that again. Cause right now this is terrible. And I was like, okay, you know, I got to even oh, argue with her. You, dear. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that there's, there's, uh, there's really, there's no one better, uh, to evaluate you and hold you accountable than yourself. Uh, you know, 
you are your own worst critic. At least they're speaking for myself. I'm my own worst critic. And there are times where, um, like you said about preparation, right? So I'll be uh, doing a lecture and um, I've been fortunate that it hasn't really happened uh, when we're doing these things where we go all over, but in my own firehouse, uh, I have animations and they're not crazy animations, just, you know, hitting the clicker and the, and the next uh, word comes up or the next picture. And somehow they got out of order. And like, I'm saying the thing and I know what the, the, the spot is and I'm hitting the clicker and the picture didn't come up, but the next, you know, slide came up and then it, I'm like, what the hell just happened? You know, and it's embarrassing. And, and I hold myself accountable. And then I wonder like, should I really been teaching this class? And so I think that there's some merit to that because it gives us uh, the exposure that uh, we all need to grow. Um, and, uh, and, and that none of us are perfect. And that uh, if we still love it, we need to, we need to maintain uh, that level of expectation that we have internally, those, those internal uh, objectives that we have to, to meet the mark, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So that would be my answer to that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And you also talk about, you know, instructors are in the business of developing people, you know, not picking on people, not ridiculing people, right? Right. And talk about the the setup drills uh, purposely to make people look bad. In your experience, have you seen that? That's happened to me. That's why I talk about it. Really? What yeah. Would... Uh, so I, so I'll, I'll start with this because anybody that's listening to this that works with me or, or has worked with me in the past are like, wait a minute, you? I break balls. Uh, I think that the fire service is designed, uh, as one of those, uh, unique things that, especially in today's, you know, society where everybody's feelings are, are, are a little more sensitive. We have a, an ability to, to really nag on somebody with love. Okay. Uh, so if you mean it with love and you're genuine and you're breaking somebody's balls, you will get the best out of them because they're like, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, like he's on me because he cares and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, I, I want to get him, get him. I want him to get the best out of me. And that's why I'll do that. So uh, I will say that there's merit and there's reason with no manipulation with positive, you know, uh, constructive criticism or constructive ball breaking mm -hmm. in the fire service. There's uh there's merit to that as a training officer, because uh, you're setting an, a, a standard and expectation. What I mean is the malicious ones, the jerks, the mean guys, the bully, uh, you know, another quote of mine is I say training is meant for progression, not our, uh, I'm sorry, I messed that up. <laughs> training is meant for development, not for punishment. Um, it is exactly that. I'm not going to host a drill just so that I can point out the fact that you can't bail out of the second floor window, that you're afraid of heights or you're afraid of doing a bailout. I'm not going to invite eight of the guys on the department so that we can all stand around and make fun of you because you can't get your leg over the threshold of the window, right? I'm going to work with you individually and coach you through this and build a level of comfort so that you can feel confident to do this before I embarrass you in front of your peers. And I have seen, and I have been the recipient of uh, such training officers and such uh, instructors, even in the fire academy. Um, one time I took a class when I was still in Jersey and uh, this one particular instructor, I will not say his name. Uh, he, he, uh, we were, we were doing a tactical, uh, tactical operations class. And um, he made me vent a pitch roof uh, with a, uh, a pickaxe um, like, for an hour 
he made me have to do two vent holes with this pickaxe on a piece of uh, three-quarter inch plywood that had no support in the center. So it was just bouncing like a rubber band as you're hitting it with that axe. You know, I mean, there's no science to it. It's not like a regular roof. This is a real roof. Tommy, you've done it. You know, it's different skill. You're hitting a, a piece of plywood, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not, you're not learning anything. And he did this to, to mess with me and to embarrass me uh, and to make a, a joke and a mockery of me in front of uh, everybody else in the class. And, and I didn't give up. Uh, I didn't, and it kicked my ass, it kicked my ass, but I remember, uh, while I was up there on that pitch roof and that, that, that ax just bouncing back at me every time I was hitting it. I remember saying to myself, if I ever get an opportunity to teach people, I'm never going to do this to somebody. I don't care how much the student's an asshole. I'm never going to do this to somebody because this is horrible. This is not constructive. There's an example of one of the leadership lessons of, you know, you can learn just as much from a bad leader, or in this case, a bad training officer as you can a good training officer, sure. or a good leader. And that falls right in line with a couple bullet points that I know I've read in your writings about don't set drills up to make people look bad and using a methodology of instruction that is actually designed to make our people better, such as the example you used. If someone's having their trouble getting their leg up over the window threshold, you're going to work with them. That You're going to use a different methodology to help them. You want to develop your team because, as you point out, too, you're building the future of your organization. You're building up your people. You're making your people better, which is going to make your organization better, and it's going to help set up long-term success down the road as well. Right. And you want to prevent the perishing of skills. So what do you mean by preventing the perishing of skills? So, you know, what we do is, uh, like I keep saying, you know, it's, it's an ever evolving service and we respond to an ever evolving society. Right. Mm -hmm. So every day we're, we're tasked with having to learn something new, uh, every day. And, uh, I learned this actually at, uh, while I was up at West Point because West Point literally is like a Swiss army knife. And I'm not trying to say that they're better than any other fire department I've ever been at. Just, they literally did it all. And the training program that I was responsible for the intent and the expectation, because we're West Point was that we were masters of it all. Um, so because your brain can only hold so much, all right? Your brain is essentially a file cabinet. And the more and more files you put in that cabinet, eventually it gets cluttered and they push to the back and then then they fall out, right? So that's why it's important that as a training officer, you understand that skills are perishable and that the responsibility or requirements or expectations of the things that we have to respond to in the proficiency level uh, comes with a level of frequency in training. So like Gordon Graham says, you know, high risk, low frequency, just because you haven't responded to a high line rescue in the past year, it is a mission that you 100% are responsible to go to, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, when's the last time that you did the training on it? Because I know we did 17 other things the past few months. And I know that that high line, you setting up that system is now in the back of the file cabinet. So I need to bring that file ca- file from the, fr- from the back and put it back in the front. So God forbid when the emergency happens, because we don't know when these emergencies are going to happen, it's fresh. And that's the the importance of frequency training, understanding the frequency training, and understanding how to prevent perishment of skills. 
and also that falls into another Chief McGlynn quote, just because you're in a department that runs less than 300 calls a year doesn't mean you don't train like a department that's running over a thousand calls a year. Did I say that? That's you did. You did. That's awesome, man. That's I've awesome. researched. Where are you finding this information, man? <laughs> that is an awesome quote. I didn't even know I said that. All right, that one got changed. Chief Tom Merrill. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good, take it. No, but they, you know, that's something, you know, I talk to a lot of volunteer departments that are rural and maybe don't uh, run a lot of calls, you know, some less than a hundred runs a year. And sometimes they get a little bit of an inferiority complex, which I always say, you know what, celebrate the fact that you're a rural department. Be proud of that. I never look at a department that's only running 50 or 75 or a hundred calls a year in any less light than I do a department running a thousand calls a year. Sure you know, celebrate that, but you still got to train. And there's another, here's a quote that um, I think it was chief uh, Mike Lombardo, chief commissioner from Buffalo said once, the longer it's been since your last fire, the closer you are to your next fire. Um, (laughs) You got to be ready and you got to train and master the craft and prevent the perishable skills. And, and, uh, and that's the important role of the training officer. You got to be thinking of these things. I I agree. Uh, So uh, I, all jokes aside, I, I know I say I actually I say that a lot. So I even say it to my guys in, in, in work. That actually comes from my volunteer experience. Um you know, uh I I could never understand, and this wasn't like the paid guy mentality, because you know that, you know, like that you get sometimes you'll get volleys that'll have a paid guy in their department and they'll say, Well, it's, it's just paid guy mentality. Like sometimes guys are trying to come in there with their city paid job experience and, 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 and it doesn't apply to the volley house, you know, uh, but all other times just because I enjoy training or just because I I'm pro training, or I think that we should do more training, right. Isn't anything to do with the fact that I'm on the job because, uh, the likelihood of us going to a fire is, is the same as if I'm on the job or if I'm in my volley house, we exist because there could be an emergency and we have to respond to it. Um, so the fact that you only run 300 calls a year should actually give you more opportunity to being more proficient and having more opportunity to train on stuff than those departments that run over a thousand calls a year, Mm -hmm. uh, because they constantly have to go to calls. So even if they're a volunteer department, because there are, there's a volley, there's those volley departments that are running a few thousand calls a year and, you know, they don't have time to, to attend all the training they're doing. So their, their experience is gained in just that is in, in, in experience. So if you're running less than 300 calls a year, you should be going to training because uh, the, the skill is perishable because it's not happening as frequent. So you should actually pride yourself on your training programs better than the guys that are running Absolutely. thousands of calls. Yeah, I tell someone, I, I know some departments that are rural and maybe don't run a lot of calls and they border other companies that run a lot of calls. And what I say to them is train, 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 be proficient. So they know when they call you, they're getting a high trained, highly operating team coming to their mutual aid. Right. And just want to take a second and remind our listeners that uh, this is fire engineering blog talk radio. And you are listening in on the epi- this episode of the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. I'm Tom Merrill. So glad to have you listening in this evening. And, and joining me is Chief M- Dave McGlynn, uh, founder of Passion in Leading. And we're talking all things leadership, specifically the role of the training officer uh, this evening. So um, continuing on with the chief, I know 
You also talk about your belief in networking. You're very big on networking. And there's a lot of different aspects to networking. My firm belief is uh, I, I'm a big advocator of networking. This past weekend at the uh, Missouri uh, Winter Training School, networking with people I've never met before and catching up with others I have met before, such as yourself. There's, there's so much value in that. And it's something I think could be lost on the generation coming behind us um, because so much is online. Um, but I want to get your take on networking because I, I know you've you've mentioned it earlier in the show, actually, that you're big on networking. And so your take on networking and where does that play in, in the role of the training officer? Also, it's it's an important role for the training officer. Uh, so I'll start with uh, every fire department runs mutual aid. Okay. Every fire department run, runs mutual aid. So with that said, we don't respond to emergencies just by ourselves. So if we're not talking to our neighboring departments, what is the expectation of how well you guys are going to work together? What's the level of cohesion that's there? Uh, or as an incident commander, what's going to be your true span of control when you don't know these people? You don't know their skill set mm -hmm. and you don't, you don't talk to each other, right? So there's no mutual trust there, right? So you need to network with each other on that side. <clears throat> but more importantly, as a training officer uh, and those that are listening uh, that, that, that are in the position, they, they, they're, they're going to be like, yep. So there's so many times where you're trying to run a drill where you can't find the materials to, to facilitate the drill, right? You either can't find the area, the building, uh, the, you know, the classroom, uh, the wood that you need to build props, um, whatever it is, there's these setbacks that, you know, even with proper planning. So I'll say like improper planning, obviously that's going to happen, but even with like, okay, I got everything in order. And then just as it goes in the fire service game day, they're like, Hey, you know what, actually we're not going to have that, 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 that pallet of wood for you, or, you know, we're not going to be able to give you that classroom or actually that building that we told you, you could do drills in, uh, you know, the, 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 the department of health came in and they condemned it because they said that they found asbestos. So you guys can't train in there now. And, you're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do, you know? So having this, uh, I call it, you know, tapping into your Rolodex of resources, right? Having this uh, Rolodex of all the people that are in your community, uh, the stakeholders, the business, uh, the, the, the business owners, the politicians, the, the, uh, the, the, the neighbors, the community, the, the neighboring fire departments, the police department, the first aid squad or, or EMS, whatever they call them, you know, they're, they're you know. Uh, the ambulances, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, having those people knowing what they bring to the table, what they can offer, what skill set they can offer. Here's the thing. So look at your firehouse now, right? So let's say you have a department that has 40 people. All 40 of them all have at least one level of being a subject matter expert in something. Okay. S maybe a couple in, in one thing. But the point is, is every member of that department has some level of being a, an SME in something. So that's just your department. So your ability to be able to tap any resources internally, but then externally is extremely important because think about the numbers just mathematically. If I have 40 people that are 40 SMEs and then a neighboring department has 40 people that are 40 SMEs, I got 80 SMEs mm -hmm. for free, for free. I have somebody, if I'm running an engine company, but I know that I can respond and have to do truck work on a mutual aid call because that's just what the assignment ended up being. And I got a neighboring department that, that is very proficient in truck work. 
I'm going to invite them over and they're going to teach us some truck work. And that's free training. That's good development, quality training. But also, as a person in leadership uh, and as a person responsible for, for the development of others, it's a very taxing thing. Uh, so networking is also being able to have mentors. Um, you go through a time where you're like, man, am I doing this right? And you have these people who you built a, a relationship with that you can call at your beck and call and they can, they can talk you off the ledge, you know, or they can help you get through it. Or you can say, you know, I got this class coming up and I don't think I'm going to be able to teach it. And, you know, and we have to do this thing. And they're like, Hey man, I have a PowerPoint on that. I'm going to email it to you. And then we can zoom call each other, or put me on speakerphone and I'm going to talk you through it and I'll help you get through it. Or I could see if I come by your firehouse one night and help you, help you get through it, you know, and, and pass that information on. This is free stuff. And that's why I get so passionate about it. Cause I'm like the fire service, you know, like we're all about brotherhood, right? Brotherhood, this brotherhood, that, but we don't want to talk to each other. We don't want to, we don't want to talk to anybody outside of the, our own firehouse. And it's like, if you just talk to them, there's so many things that they can offer you. And the best part is it costs nothing. There's so much free stuff out there that you can help you build your training program and help develop your people. And it, all it, all it took as in, in the words of quoting people, Steve Hamilton, who's a friend of mine works down at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. It starts with a handshake and a smile. Yeah. It's that easy. Build relationships. It's another way to look at it. Right. And again, you can't build a relationship watching YouTube. Like you said, a lot of great stuff on YouTube. We can learn from YouTube. We can even have sit-down tabletop, tabletop drills with YouTube. But folks, please, networking, understand how important it is. So I, I say get out of your own bubble from time to time. There's people out there that can help you through challenging times, can help you with training. Um, and what what do we always say, too, that um, – oh, I just lost my train of thought on that – with getting out of your own bubble, but you don't have to know it all. Uh, oh, ditch your ego. That's where I was going with that. Sometimes you got to ditch your ego, right? And, and even as the training officer and people looking at you as the uh, the one leading your training in your department. And I know, you, uh, Chief, you said this, and I want to just cover it again quickly. You don't have to be the subject matter expert on everything. There are people that maybe are better or know more than you do on some of the topics. So involve them. Um, I think you said you need to know your limitations, right? There's nothing yes. wrong in that. Bury your ego. Yes. You know, the, uh, the, the training officer is like, uh, you know, the, the, the New York City Symphony, right? So there's a conductor for the orchestra at the symphony. He, he knows when to call on the French horns and when to call on the flutes and when to call on the string section. Mm -hmm. he might've played the drums. He was a percussion major and he ended up becoming a conductor. He don't know how to play the French horn, but he knows when to call on them so that this thing sounds amazing. And that's what people need to understand in his training officer realm is you don't have to be the best at tie knots. You have to know who is the best at tie knots so that they can teach your people so that they can be just as good. Know your people, know your organization, get to know them. Absolutely. You also talk about what it, having what it takes to be a good training officer. And I'm not going to put you on the spot here by trying to pull them up, but I have them in front of me. And I was wondering <laughs> if you could just uh, briefly discuss what you mean by these different criteria for having what it takes. And the first one is credibility. 
So uh, credibility is is big in in the fire service in general. So uh, anybody can put words on a resume. Anybody can wear buy a T-shirt that says they're a member of a fire department, uh, and anybody can get a degree or uh, a certificate to say that they're uh, an instructor, right? Um, if you've never driven an engine, it's probably uh, it's highly unlikely that you're going to be able to put together a driver uh, operator training program. Okay, uh, if you've never been a company officer, it's going to be real hard for you to teach leadership or in general, not even teach leadership, but as a training officer, training officers are leaders too. And uh, you're the leader of your entire organization on through the chief. So if you don't know what it's like to even lead four people uh, on a regular mundane call, good luck trying to facilitate and manage a program for the entire organization. Hmm. I can promise it's not going to work. Um, you know, Meaning what you say, uh, you know, not just being all talk, uh, being walk, you know, that's the credibility piece of it is we, we tend to respect people who have done what we've done before because there's that level of empathy, right? Empathy is important in life. We value empathy because people can understand what it feels like when we feel that way. Um, I don't need somebody to just be uh, saying all the right things. I need you to feel the right things. I need you to know uh, why we shouldn't do a live fire evolution in the middle of July when it's hundred percent humidity and 103 degrees out. You know, uh, I don't want you to say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm the training officer and a curriculum says we need to get it done. I want you to be like, no, I wouldn't do that when I was a fireman either. So right. we're not doing that today. Right. Uh, that's the importance of the credibility piece. Right. Ability to lead. The ability to lead. Like I said, you know, training officers are leaders too. Uh, if you are somebody that cannot, even when you're teaching a class, you know, you're, you're leading the class. If you can't establish a following, people don't believe in you. They will not follow you. And even if they follow you blindly, it's just enough to not get in trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just enough to get the check in the box to say that they attended the training. Um, you have to understand that, while you're up there, you're a leader. It's okay to be nervous because there's uh, there's some humility in that, and that's a beautiful thing, humility, right? Um, but you own the room, so own the room, command the room. Mm. You know, you have to be able to. If somebody's being insubordinate, somebody's uh, we got these know-it-all students sitting there, you know, calling you out, and no, that's that's wrong, that's wrong, and find a way to deal with that, not just fold like origami and then you know they end up becoming the, the instructor at a class and what, what's the point in you being there you know right right the ability to influence change so as a training officer you're 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 responsible to 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 put out content that uh is possibly perceived as unpopular um so respecting and valuing the culture respecting and understanding uh the the the, the foundation and then finding the balance and how you can implement those new things so that people can buy into them. That's important. If you don't have the ability to, to influence people to improve the way they do business, then uh, I'll tell you how, how it goes is they become complacent, right? And then complacency turns into laziness and then laziness turns into regression. And then over time, we deteriorate our skill set and and we actually suck at what we do 
So you, you have to be able to influence people that change is good for the right reason, not manipulative change, uh, because we need to continue to grow in the services that we provide. Nice. Nice. The ability to coach and mentor others. Oh, so I think that's pretty well, important. <laughs> right. So, well, the, the, the starter to that, and I say that in my class is, is, uh, one understanding the difference between coaching and mentoring. Uh, they're oftentimes, uh, considered synonyms and they're, and they're actually not that they mean the same thing in, in, in how you execute, but they don't mean the same thing in coaching is done in the moment. So as a training officer and as a field instructor, right, that's moment stuff. When you're on the training ground and you're in somebody's ass about something or you're, or you're, or you're, you know, like you're, you're, you're correcting an action or something like that. Right. That's coaching somebody. That's the day to day. That's, you know, I'm handling this task in the moment so that I can try to help you stay on course. The ability to be able to, to mentor somebody is, is, is more important because you are responsible for their future development. So as a training officer, you are responsible for everyone in your organization's future development. Uh, so you have to be able to be available and be a good listener and be empathetic and be sympathetic and be supportive. And uh, also have, like I said earlier with the credibility, the credibility piece that they're willing to want to talk to you, um, that they trust that you're somebody that is uh, the person who should be responsible for their future development. Um, if you don't have that ability, and I really mean that, I mean, it's easy to say like, yeah, I could be somebody's mentor. Like, not in a manipulative sense. You know, there's a lot of manipulative mentors out there that uh, they will try to uh, create a breadcrumb trail for somebody only to see one side of the rhetoric and narrative that they end up only knowing how that one person is telling them how to be. You know, give people the ability to, to be better than you. Excellent. I like that. Never heard a manipulative, manipulative mentor before and interesting take too between coach and mentor because you're you're right those are so often confused as being the same thing very nice the ability to be a student of the craft oh i like that one well so it's not even ability i, I should actually right. change that to requirement right, right no right. It's, so you're right it is that's in the objectives of the class is the ability to be the student of, of a craft but it should actually be requirement to be a student of the craft you as a training officer you got to be in the know. So like I said before, you know, you don't have to be the SME, but you cannot affect like truly effectively know what it is that people are supposed to be training on. If you just stopped going to classes, like just cause you're the training officer didn't come with this hall pass that you don't have to go to training anymore. <laughs> you know, you, you, like we say, you know, like, oh, we love leaders that lead from the front, right? And you're like, oh, like, oh, yeah, my chief will pull hose if he needs to, too, you know, and and, and all that stuff, you know. But training officers be, should be doing the same thing. If you're telling guys that you want them to go to a class, you should go, too. Now, a good training officer, if it's a budgetary thing, will remove themselves or exclude themselves so that they can give their younger people the opportunity to go to those classes instead. That's another flip side of that is like just because you're the training officer doesn't mean you're the only one that goes to the class give your people an opportunity but it also doesn't give you an exemption from learning it doesn't give you an exemption from training you know uh throw the gear on from time to time you know force the door from time to time drive the engine from time to time uh you know tie a knot from time to time sit in a class from time to time mm -hmm. you know uh, i i i try to uh 
you know, I'm not bragging about this because it's not so it's their numbers and I don't quantify stuff. You know, everything's based off of quality, not quantity. But um, but uh, I have the most hours logged for training in my organization as I should. I'm the training officer. So even if I'm not teaching the class, I sit in every class that I could possibly sit in. One, because I need to assess how the learners are learning, my firefighters, how the guy that I have teaching the class is teaching, you know, uh, what we need to improve on, what we did well. And also it's developmental for me. Like I'm learning something. I go there as a student. Like I don't just go there as like, hey, I'm the training chief. Like I'm sitting here as a student. I'm taking notes. Right, right. You know, in addition to that, like I always say too, for as long as you choose to volunteer, you got to remain a student of the game. And certainly if you're a training officer, you have to. And in addition to still being a student of the craft, as a training officer and somebody who occasionally does present a drill, I used to tell people, when you're sitting in those classes, watch what works. Watch the good instructors and how they engage the audience and how maybe they fire you up and how they leave an impression on you and try and emulate that. So there's a whole nother reason to be a student of the craft. Absolutely. I agree with that. I, I, I'm, I'm stealing that by the way. (laughs) I'll quote you. I'll put a slide with a picture of you on there, (laughs) but I do, I agree with that. It's, you know, the, that, that, that captivation thing, you know, as a, as an instructor, the ability to captivate is extremely important. And, and as you won't know that feeling of captivation, unless you're, unless you've been captivated. Right. So you need to be in the audience and be a student and say, Oh my God, I felt it. So that you're like, I know how, you know, I knew what that guy did. I'm going to do the same thing when I'm teaching a, a lesson now. Right. And lastly, uh, having what it takes, the ability to inspire others. Yes. So, um, uh, that is exactly uh, that is exactly it. Having what it takes is having the ability to inspire others. Uh, you know, all those things that that, that we've discussed uh, tonight. You know, in the episode, <clears throat> you know, the credibility piece, the ability to network, the ability to be able to coach, the ability to be able to lead, the ability the ability to be able to mentor people, student in the craft, all of these things that we've mentioned and discussed uh, in detail through the night, which I appreciate. The ability to inspire others is something that. Um, oddly enough, I don't think there's, you can learn how to inspire people because inspiration is a genuine thing and one's willingness to be inspired is a genuine thing. How you can get there is by going through the things that I said before, and that's, uh, being a good coach, being a good mentor, uh, you know, having credibility, proving that you're a student of the craft. Um, having done the things that you're expecting people to do gives you the uh, hall pass to being able to inspire people. People will be willing to allow you and invite you in willingly and 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 almost unconsciously uh, to set them up for success because they believe in you. And then uh, and to, you know and, and then the flip side of this is because you believe in them and they believe that you believe in them and that's why they'll allow you to inspire them, and and having what it takes is 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 literally that is is having gone through all the things that we've discussed tonight, and then and then having that ability to inspire others to be better than you, to inspire others to find the be- the best version of themselves, uh, and having that ability to develop others uh, because by definition quite literally the training officer is somebody who develops others and 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 that's a you know a huge responsibility absolutely having what it takes 
credibility, the ability to lead, the ability to influence change, the ability to coach and mentor others, the ability or the mandate that you be a student of the craft and the ability to inspire others. So, so important. So if you're elected or appointed or have the role of the training officer, folks, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and Chief, you also do mention something else. Be the why. Yes. Be the why. What do you mean yeah. by that? So uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, uh, like uh, Frank was saying, you know, you give credit where it's due, right? So uh, I, I, I listened to a, a lot of uh, Simon Sinek. I think that's how you say his mm-hmm. name, Sinek, Sinek. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So um, he had, a, you know, he has a book and he has a, a presentation on Be the Why, right? And uh, now his is more for uh, like maybe personal, professional development, but also more for like uh, uh, the business sense of it, right? Uh, but how I connected to this and how I related to it, and then uh, so giving him the credit, how I've been able to reshape that as a training officer and developing others is everybody knows you're the training officer, you know, whether it says it on your helmet, it says it on your, your email signature, it says it on the, the, the door of your desk uh, or, you know, the, 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 the calendar that you put out for the training schedule for the upcoming month, you know, you signed your name and everybody knows you're the training officer. They know what you are. Why? Should you be the person responsible for their development? Why are you the person who is tasked with the responsibility and the authority to decide what it is that they train on and the frequency that they train on those things? Why are you the person that they should trust to bring them to the next level of proficiency to be amazing at the thing that they love so much, which is this job, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's why I say like, if if you're going to be a good training officer and that goes for, for leadership and even as, as a firefighter, you wearing a shirt, that's the what. It's easy to put on a shirt or like you said before, it's not a costume, you know. It's easy to put on a costume. That's what. Why are you the person that I should be listening to right now? Why do you do what you do? What's your intent? What's your purpose? So because if people understand why you are about what you're about, they will then start to dig deep in themselves as to see what they're, why they're doing what they're doing. And it becomes this reciprocated thing and, and everybody is starting to have a, an open dialogue and they're growing together. There's just, it's, it, it's a recipe for, for buy-in, mm-hmm. which is the thing we struggle with buy-in, you know, is people exposing why is very important. If you're guarded and you have secrets, nobody's going to know why. They only know what, and nobody gives a shit about what because that's easy. You just you can put on a shirt and it says it. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. And let's not forget, we've been pretty serious here tonight. But I I do know there's a part of you that says training should also be fun. Yes. Right. And again, yeah. let's face it, we got to get that buy-in. We got to encourage volunteers. So as serious as training is, and you and I really hammered that you know, tonight, today, about how serious training is. You are training for a job that can kill you. You still got to have fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, whether you're a volunteer or, or on the job, especially in the volunteers, you know, like you said earlier, you know, the time is everything. Uh, 
you know, so we need to appreciate that, that, that people are willing to come down to the station and, and, and take some time away from their family if they're at work all day or whatever, right, um, to, to dedicate themselves to, to, to this thing of ours. And if training was nothing but taxing, I don't mind if training kicks your ass because that's a good feeling sometimes when you walk away from that. Like I say to people, you know, when after a good drill or after a good call, you know, it's like that drowning sensation where like you, you get to the surface of the water and you take that breath of fresh air, you know, it's like such a relieving thing, you know? So being able to look back at the journey of how hard train a, dra- a training drill was and being like, Oh man, that sucked. Uh, that's a good feeling because you've accomplished something. Right. But if you don't know how to have fun, that's where the ball breaking piece comes in. You know, you don't know how to pick on each other. You don't know how to have a joke. You don't know how to, you know, make something fun either during lecture, during the drill. Like, like, um, it's easy to po- poke fun at the chief, right? Um, not to discredit his, his authority, but to poke at the chief. So uh, I'll throw one out there for guys is occasionally, if I know I'm going to be teaching something that's a little dry, uh, or that the guys are coming off of one that's like kind of like, uh, you know, just they're, they're not into it, right? Um, either in the middle or even at the end, uh, I'll put a picture up of the chief and it'll be like, it could be worse. You could be this guy, you know, and, <laughs> and everybody, I get a laugh out of it. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Or if one of the guys falls asleep in, in, in the recliner and I get a, I snap a picture of it. And then six months later, I'll just throw it in the middle of one of my lectures and that guy's sitting in the class and I'll put, it could be worse. You could be this guy, you know, <laughs> and it's, and, and it, but it's out of good fun. It's not right. because I'm bullying him. Right. Make training fun. And not every drill has to be in specific to, you know, like, like the, they have all these different types of fun ways to do a breathe down SCBA drill, you know, play dodgeball, do whatever, you know, make training fun. There are so many innovative, innovative ways that we can do it. And if you don't know, that's the beauty of networking is reach out to somebody and ask them, Hey, how can I make this training fun? Right. Um, it's very important because one, we're kids. I, I said that, you know, firemen become firemen because they're toys for the rest of kids. They didn't want to grow up. You know, we wanted to still be kids. Right. Uh, so or you got to make it grow f- up. I want to be a fireman. Well, you can't right, right. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so y- you got to make it fun because, uh, you lose interest when it's not fun. Um, but also because, what we do, if you peel back the onion layers, is is very serious. And twenty percent of the world's population can do what we do and see what we see and get through it. So if you don't find a way to find the funk and dysfunctional and find and find the funny in it, um, you, you're going to take it too serious, and uh, and then you're not learning. You're you're actually you're you're almost uh, encouraging depression, <laughs> and nobody wants that, right? <laughs> right. You know, <clears throat> right, right. Chief, I can't thank you enough for your time uh, being on my my podcast. I really appreciate it. Chief Dave McGlynn, uh, the operations chief, the training officer for the Letterkenny Fire and um, Emergency Services Department in Pennsylvania. Um, if you haven't listened to his podcast, Networking for Success, add it to your listen to list because you will not be disappointed. Also, the owner, lead instructor for Passion in Leading. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, Chief, to have a conversation about anything to do with training or anything else at all, because you're a very successful chief officer, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so uh, the name of the company, Passion in Leading Altogether, uh, P-A-S-S-I-O-N-I-N-L-E-A-D-I-N-G at gmail.com. 
passioninleading@gmail.com is my email. Um, and my phone number, I don't mind giving my phone number out. It's area code 732-485-8813. Um, and then I'm on social media. I'm on, you know, Dave McGlynn, uh, Passion and Leading has a, I have a Facebook page for that. Uh, and I'm on uh, Twitter under Chief underscore McGlynn, uh, C-H-I-E-F underscore M-C-G-L-Y-N-N. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I appreciate that, Tom. Honestly, uh, I'm always interested in, 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 in talking shop with people. Um, yeah, I, I'm honestly honored when somebody reaches out to me that I don't know, um, and asks me for some advice. Cause I, I almost feel not, you know, like I always uh, attribute the Wayne's world, you know, not worthy, you know, like <laughs> I feel like that, you know, I really do. Cause I don't think I have really much to give other than just, I, I love what I do. And I, I, I my, my wish is that people, uh, love it the same. Or, I, or think it's safe, I think it's safe to say you have a passion for it. Right, right. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, exactly. As, as we finish up then, is any last words you want to say about training, uh, volunteer training or being a training officer? Yeah, uh, just quickly, if you're going to be a training officer, uh, be the training officer that you wanted when you were them. Uh, don't put together some mundane program that just checks in the box. Don't worry about quantity, worry about quality. And understand that at the end of the day, you're in the business of developing people. And if people are willing to allow you to develop them, that is an important responsibility and one that you can lose in seconds if you're not credible. Excellent. I like that. Be the training officer you wanted when you were them. Chief, just an awesome, awesome, uh, just so much awesome information. And I know you're presenting um, at FDIC this year. Do you have what it takes to be the training officer? So a reminder to yeah. all of our listeners, if you want to hear more on this subject and want to talk face-to-face uh, -face with the chief and ask him your questions and learn even much more than what we talked about in this short podcast, add it to your uh, list for FDIC. And when is your class, Chief? Thank you. Uh, it's uh, Wednesday, the 26th at 3.30. I was going to ask you, what time are you teaching? I don't want to take away from your audience. No, no, I'm Wednesday at 10.30. So Okay, oh, that's right. We, we talked about that. I told you. I said you were lucky. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, good, good for you. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, so you got you got a good, good, good spot there. Now, uh, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm also same time as, uh, uh, same day as you, but I'm at, at 3.30. So Wednesday the 26th uh, at 3.30. I don't know what room they haven't come out yet, but – Right. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see you there. And listen, um, there's a lot of awesome classes in that short week. So uh, if I'm teaching the same time as somebody that, uh, you know, you really want to see, I'm not offended. I'm there all week. Just look me up. I don't care. You know, I mean, I'd love for you to sit in the class, but uh, I'm also not going to let you miss out on something that you, you might only have one opportunity to see either. So and, and trust me, the chief will be outside at night. I've yeah, seen him. I am. <laughs> and he did give his contact info. So send him a text and network yeah. with him. Right, Chief? Network. Yeah, that's it. Beautiful yep. part of FDIC every single year. Yeah, and I agree with that. Network. So, Chief, thanks again for, for joining me. I really, really appreciate your time and all of your uh, great information and tidbits of advice um, regarding training. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. If anybody wants to ever get a hold of me again, my contact info 
Uh, feel free to reach out at any time. Merrill 63 at AOL.com. Check out my professional volunteer fire department Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, uh, my website, uh, theprofessionalvfd.com, where all the links to my articles and podcasts can be found there. My YouTube channel has all the podcasts. And remember, as we just said, start making plans for the great FDIC experience, the FDIC conference. Be a little more uh, poignant this year when we remember the great Chief Bobby Halton and all that he did. Um, April 24th to the 29th, um, if you can make it, it'd be love, just like the chief said, love to meet up with you, network with you. Um, you can be there with all of us as we pay tribute to Bobby. I know they got some great things planned and I want to thank my fire engineering family for again, allowing me to put on this podcast and everything else they've done with me. And, um, I know I said it last month, but I would not be who I am or been able to do any of this without my dear friend, all of our dear friend, Chief Bobby Halton, for all the opportunities he provided for me. And all of you, I'm sure, will just be forever, forever grateful. My next show will be April, or I'm sorry, March 21st, where we will continue to talk about topics of importance in the volunteer fire service. So until then, folks, remember, it's 2023. Our residents are owed professional service delivered by professional firefighters representing professional organizations. Thank you for listening in this evening. Take care and stay safe. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.